How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Adam Sane podcast, where you get to know a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, I'm sitting uh, next to Will Watley. Hello, I'm Will Watley. Welcome to the show. He is a fractional CTO, uh-huh. which we will definitely dive into what that means. And he uh, has worked on technology from enterprise systems to uh, startups and just a full range of anything tech. So if you need something technologically done, Will's your guy. I'm your guy. Excited welcome, welcome, here. welcome, welcome. So, uh, Will, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I just got back to Statesboro um, in the last week, You're actually two weeks ago. No, I grew up in Atlanta and briefly in New York City as well. Uh, but my family uh, ended up in Statesboro, which is kind of a long story. Uh-huh. Um, but I've been living in Mexico City the last two years. Um, before that, I was living in Colombia, uh, just traveling with a group of, of different people. Digital and, nomads, uh, I yeah, think they call them, right? I guess so, yeah. Although I kind of <laughs> try to stay away from that term in How general. How come? How come? Um, Are digital nomads usually like the bums? To be that's the best way to describe it, to be honest. Like every time, every time that I, I meet people in my travels uh, and they ask what I do and I tell them, they're like, wow, like that's amazing. And, 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 you know, I have never really thought of it like that. I just thought that that's what everyone else is also doing in the, in the travel world. But it turns out that that's not really the case. A lot of people, uh, and that's fine, of course, they're just like, maybe use digital nomad more as like synonymous with unemployed. Gotcha. Uh, so gotcha. Well, you are definitely employed. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. definitely. But uh, regardless, uh, lived in Colombia, traveled through Ecuador a little bit, um, in Latin America here for a couple weeks, headed to New York City and then uh, going to Europe for a little while. OK, so you had a stint, you said, in Statesboro for a period of time. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of a long story short, but my grandparents ended up moving here. They're not from here either, um, but since um, they've they've stayed here, and then I, I ended up moving here from New York mm-hmm. uh, when I was 16, and my mom ended up moving here as well, uh, and she's been here since. So I have ties here, and I come back here every every so often, but uh, definitely not um, did not grow up here per se. So, so Statesboro uh, has the ability to produce, um, you know, uh, people uh, that have value in tech. I suppose I think that's what that means, right? Yeah, I, I guess that could be said. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so uh, for you, uh, how did you first, you know, encounter technology? What's the story? How come tech became something you kind of like started, you know, pursuing, and have done amazing things with? Well, I, I appreciate that. So. Honestly, I think I've just always been a general enthusiast mm. about life, just generally speaking. I'm just uh, passionate, curious about uh, a wide range of different things. Um, you know, I can almost get excited about anything. Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of exploring different potential career paths, uh, working in, in just a, a wide range of different things. And then I met... Um, my first quote unquote business partner when I was 20. Okay. Uh, and he told me that he had, a, he was working on a startup. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. That's really interesting. So I ended up joining with him. And at that time I didn't know any programming. I didn't know anything about startups or technology in general. And, uh, have you, had you played with tech at that time? Have you like, you know, dabbled in it? Did you have a computer? Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, I definitely dabbled in it. I was always kind of a gamer, kind of, okay. kind of nerdy. So I, I liked that stuff in general. Uh-huh. Um, but I had never considered it as like a real career option. But when I joined the startup, I liked what we were working on. And I told them, I said, Hey, I want to learn how to program. And they said, don't do that. Just stick with uh, Mm. business development. And I ended up doing it anyways. I left that startup I was part of uh, and just focused on programming as much Mm -hmm. as I could. How come you, uh, that was what spoke to you during that time? Um, Just wanting to learn how to program. Mm -hmm. I think it was the general curiosity, like I had mentioned, just being generally curious about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And I realized that with technology um, that my general curiosity could be explored 
in the in the avenue of technology. I could focus in healthcare technology. I could focus in in different types of sustainability and renewable energies. I could apply technology to any wide range of industries. So for me, that was really attractive. Was there something uh, that that happened that really kind of like made you feel? Do you remember a time when you like? finally figured something out or like that was like the moment for you that where you were like hey this is what I want to do for the rest of my life I think once I realized a few things so one was that I was being consistently challenged mm. and I was 20 about at the time 21 and realized that programming and technology in general could be a segue to reaching any you know, one, if not many of my goals, one of which is this, this, this ability to be free and be able to travel, um, not be like geographically tied down, which I, is really important to me. Sure. But also I just enjoyed working with, with other people in that, in that framework and being challenged on a consistent basis. And I think that that's when I realized like, hey, like maybe this is something I can do for a longer term. And so in, in here, I think there's so many different things to talk about. There's, there's the business component. Uh, so let's take them one at a time. You know, uh, the, one of the first questions is, is how is it living not tied down to a specific location? I think it's incredible. I mean, honestly, I, I know um, it's hard to, to have a conversation nowadays and not reference COVID, but mm. that unfortunately is our, our sure. reality. Sure. So um, I'd say that now more than ever people are getting the you know the taste and having the ability to work remotely and work from their home um so hopefully there's kind of this like global transition but to answer your question for me i feel like uh having the opportunity to to explore other cultures learn different languages just get a general diversity of thought um is really important and has helped me in my personal and professional development mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And so like for you, has there been like, what's your favorite memory of all, during all the travels that you've had? What, what is the thing that stands out like, man, this is amazing. Wow, that's a huge question. And I haven't actually thought about it, but sure. I would say it's just the people that I've met. Mm -hmm. I mean, long lasting friendships that I've made. Um, it's, it's really kind of interesting, but I was living in Colombia and I met my, my good friend to this day, Alex, who's, um, he's from Germany and him and I started traveling together and we met a lot of other people in Colombia. And then in the last six months to a year, all those same people have been in Mexico and for no other real reason. I mean, it was just interesting to see like, wow, uh, there's all these people that we'd met in Colombia that are now here. Sure. So to answer your question, like, I think it's just the people you meet along the way where it's just like, wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a family. And so uh, now you're getting ready to then travel again, right? You're about to go to Europe. That's right. So uh, late September, a good friend of mine and I will go to Madrid probably stay there for a week and then go to Granada in the south of Spain and maybe stay there for a month or so and then probably go to Portugal. And then from there, talking about going to Georgia and Ukraine um, and uh, Russia and wherever else. It's such a, I guess, mind-blowing for me, right? Because, like, you know, I'm someone that has, you know, not traveled. I've traveled. But I have, it's only for vacation. It doesn't have a, a lot the freedom that really you get to move from place to place. Uh, and I, I think that that's such a, uh, an amazing like opportunity that most people, do you think that most people will ever get the opportunity to do something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think now more than ever, mm. it, it's incredible where we live in this time where we can learn anything we want to learn online. Um, a formal education is almost becoming less and less relevant with, you know, of course, I, I say that lightly in a way because obviously there are a lot of things that do require that. But if you want to go online and learn, you know, machine learning or marketing or uh, videography or anything, it's accessible. Sure. And that can be a good segue into having kind of like this 
um, you know, not having much attachment geographically speaking. So how do you face like all the social norm norms, right? Like, you know, of having, you know, a house or having all those different things that, you know, is socially acceptable to do. Is there ever like a moment in time where you're like, hey, like, you know, do, do I just cast that all into the wind or? Yeah, I think so. The first thing that I think of when you ask me that is a lot of the people I'm traveling with are, you know, in their uh, just a wide variety of different age groups. Mm -hmm. But let's say mid 30s, Got you. early 30s. And I see a lot of the people in that group struggle with that question. It's like, mm -hmm. do I want kids? Do I want a house? Do I want more stability? Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I could think and talk about that subject a little bit more, but for me personally, I've also kind of come into that. It's sure. like, I, I've thought about buying property as, as like having kind of a home base um, somewhere. And, and I can say quickly, I do have friends and people who I've met who I consider to be backpackers. I mean, they have every part of their life literally on their backpack. For me, I realize I don't like that, that lifestyle. Mm. I like having kind of a home base. So typically what we do is we find somewhere like in Mexico City, for instance, and kind of nest there. Mm -hmm. And then use that as like a place to kind of go back and forth. Maybe spend a month, you know, somewhere else in Mexico. Maybe go to Guatemala, um, et cetera, and just have that as like a central point. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I, yeah, I would like to have kind of like a more permanent home base. Uh, I could see that being in Mexico City because it's, it's an amazing place. Um, maybe in Spain or Portugal as well. I like both of those countries. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This could go into a lot of different topics. Let me, <laughs> let's talk about Mexico City. Uh -huh. yeah. um, what is it like? You, you mentioned that it's amazing. Like what, what's so amazing about it? So first and foremost, it's, it's world-class. I mean, it's up there, uh, Tokyo, London, New York City, Paris. It's, it's really diverse uh, in terms of um, profession, culture, art, music. It's, it's just cosmopolitan. I mm. mean, if you think about New York City, it's, it's a lot like New York City. has a lot of the same characteristics. Uh, there's 22 million people there, Wow, which is insane. I, I think it's... I mean, it's definitely in the top five largest cities. I did not know in, that in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I believe on this part of the the world in North America and in South in the Americas in general, it, it's definitely I think the second largest behind um, Sao Paulo. Mm. I might be completely wrong in that, but <laughs> uh, it's it's a big city nonetheless. Um, it's really green. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of trees, lots of parks. Uh, the food scene is incredible. Um, they have like settlements of, of, you know, different cultures worldwide that have come at different times. Like for instance, there's a huge Korean population. There's a huge German population, Lebanese. Um, and I can say to end on your question there, um, every single foreigner or traveler that has gone there has more or less seemingly the same reaction. It's like mm -hmm. they're really surprised because you just never thought of Mexico City sure. as being this amazing, beautiful place, but it really is. Mm. Very cool. Um, to change directions a Definitely. little bit now, uh, <laughs> let's go back to kind of like this uh, fractional CTO Absolutely. type of deal. Absolutely. Um, what is uh, a fractional CTO? And CTO stands for Chief Technical Officer. Exactly. So the fractional part to this is something that I'm really just kind of exploring and starting. Uh, I realize that fractional is maybe what's best described what I've been doing for the last six years. Mm -hmm. um, but fractional really just to kind of put some words or definition to it is, is more just a CTO or any other position that's hired for a specific implementation. So it's a CTO to handle the uh, execution and the deployment, maybe specifically for the MVP portion of the application, the minimum viable product, or it could be for a specific iteration. Maybe they want to add big data. Maybe they want to add machine learning mm -hmm. uh, to their to their uh, tech-enabled offerings, uh, and they'll hire sometimes uh, someone to to be specifically over that, mm -hmm. uh, which I could talk about more. 
So for, for you, is this your term or this is something that you heard before and started kind of like implementing in your own uh, realm? Yeah, so I never really heard it until more recently. And people have, I, I, I started using it because people in my network were like, wow, you're a fractional CTO, that's so cool because uh -huh. uh, that's in really high demand apparently. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, I never thought of myself as a fractional CTO, but looking back at my job history, in the last six years, I have served as a CTO for many different startups. Mm -hmm. uh, in all of those startups, uh, for the most part, I was hired for some scoped work, like some scoped project, uh, except for my own startups, which, of course, was more of a full-time, longer-lasting type role. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess, you know, for... With, with all that experience, I guess, you know, where do you find yourself leaning towards? Uh, there's multiple different roles in here. There's, you know, being a founder, there's being uh, the CTO, there's the, apparently this fractional CTO type gig, right? Like, where do you find yourself? Yeah, so, you know, at heart, I'm someone who just loves innovation, and I love product. Mm. And that's led me down a lot of different paths. Um, I founded my first startup, which was, I mean, I, I use the word failure with uh, like real gratitude because each one of these has, has been necessary in, in learning in, in this journey. But the first startup was, um, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing at all. I mean, we were 21 or so, uh, uh -huh. or I was. Um, and um, I transition to a CEO type position because I love people leadership. I mm. love leadership in general. I love networking. Uh, so it seemed like a really good fit. But the part that I did not enjoy was investment uh, fundraising, um, was, you know, the, the marketing strategy, the business, to, you know, the go-to-market plan. That part of the business I realized I really don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it took me a few startups to realize that that that's not really my wheelhouse. So then I realized, you know, what is it that I really love? I love product. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think I'm a really natural fit now as more of the technical founder in a startup is because that's what I bring to the table. And there's so much as, you know, I could talk about as like an umbrella subject sure. of what product really means. Um, what is product? Let's dive into that. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, product you know, specifically what I'm brought on to do and what I love doing is, is building things. And, and for me, product is given amount, you know, the amount of resources, uh, time and money that we have, um, what is the optimal way to deliver a set of value propositions to some target user base uh, in a way that, that, we could view as a success. So mm -hmm. that was kind of a word jumble, but let me just talk from experience. Maybe that'll help kind of um, clarify a little bit. So typically speaking, you know, uh, the, the companies I've worked with have been investment backed. So they have some funding source and they're like, hey, we need this product, um, but they have a million ideas. The idea is ultra, ultra unclear at that stage. Uh, they want to add all of the things and my job is to help really scale that back to about 25% mm. or less mm -hmm. uh, just to, to meet, you know, the target and, and be able to test our assumptions uh, on some defined user base um, so that we can collect data and say, hey, were our assumptions right? After that, a lot of it's product evolution. It's figuring out what additional features or what additional part of the product would serve as some value proposition to our current users. Um, so for me, product is really just defining something, whether mm -hmm. that's software, hardware, uh, some some you know uh, something to do with with data science that offers some value to our to our users. Mm -hmm. For for you know these products that you're creating, you know, do they span all sorts of I guess different you know, types of industries? Are they all over the place? Is there like a specific, I guess, would you call it genre that you usually go with? I think the genre is that there is no 
genre. <laughs> I'm trying to. It's think. just whatever people, whatever people need. Exactly, and and to answer that question, um, the first startup that I was ever involved in uh, was a large enterprise um, goal setting platform where um, it's the it's a platform that would connect. Uh, new hires with uh, more seasoned executives in a company, mm. uh, which we would build profiles on to help facilitate those matches so that mm -hmm. they could grow within the organization. Uh, the second one was around uh, in the healthcare space. So I was a CTO for a healthcare startup. Um, both of my business partners were medical doctors, and it was a uh, competency-based um, learning platform mm -hmm. to... Uh, uh, to teach uh, resident doctors their clinical requirements to graduate. Very cool. Apart from that, uh, worked in, in sustainability and ag, ag tech, um, and now I'm working with uh, sustainability in the in creating ESG scores, which is um, which is environmental, social, and governance. Mm -hmm. So it's rating different publicly traded companies by giving them like an A to an F rating based upon do they have women in leadership roles, how diverse they're um, doing that all automatically. Is. Exactly, which mm. is a huge data play. Sure. Uh, aggregating data from lots of different sources, applying our own algorithm on top of that, um, you know, to figure out these these trends and then rate those different companies. It's a consumer research firm to, to kind of sum it up, but, um, in a nutshell, the genre is that there is no genre because it's been so varied. Honestly, I don't think two of the startups I've worked on have been the same <laughs> or even in the same space. What, what uh, In this journey, what are kind of like three big takeaways from your experience? That's, that's a, a really good question. Um, I would say as someone who manages engineering teams, um, one interesting thing that I could say is that I've gotten past the point of looking for technical skill set mm. because I've realized that what makes an engineer developer a great engineer developer is their soft skills, is how um, empathetic they are, how good at communication that they are. Uh, those are actually the skills I think matter more. Uh, so that might be one interesting, weird That's little interesting, yeah. like, nut thing that I've learned. Um, the other two is, hmm, I might have to think about that a little okay. bit if we come back to that yeah, question. Yeah, we'll come back to yeah. it. Uh, let's kind of like deep dive on, you know, uh, what you said earlier. Um, I, I think that that's an extremely valuable point, right? You know, um, the, I mean, obviously with the, with the restaurants, with the different organizations that, you know, I oversee, it's so important. It doesn't matter how good you are. Just because you are good at your job doesn't make you a good team team member. And you know, not being able to connect the two of those. Like if you if you're able to have both in one person, then that's that's ideal. Um, but I agree with you that the soft skills are really what kind of like you know helps um, a lot of times with you know your team members and, and motivation and that sort of thing. Um, Let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, other responsibility as a CTO. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you oversee the entire, I guess, like technical side of things, but you're also leading a team. And, and there's definitely like leadership skills that are involved with that. How would you define the, your leadership? Yeah, it's uh, a good question because... I think we're always kind of learning and evolving sure. and trying to find out how we are as leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but I can maybe talk about some of my responsibilities and then how that kind of intertwines mm -hmm. with my leadership Absolutely. profile. So a large part of my job is, is product and, and project management at the end of the day. Uh, it's just, you know, um, all of the things like agile and planning sprints um, user story, right? You know, uh, writing user stories, uh, planning implementations. Uh, so there's that whole aspect to my job, which is just like very traditional product management type responsibilities. Um, in addition to that, typically how the relationship starts is helping or working with another founder or, or product owner 
to determine uh, requirements of the product, to assess risk, um, to de-risk if, if there are any risks, to look at their current infrastructure and say, okay, how does this new uh, you know, implementation affect um, you know, your current infrastructure? To give an example of that real, real quick is one of the projects that I became CTO for already had 70,000 users in wow. over $2 million in ARR. Um, What's ARR? Uh, annual recurring revenue. Okay. So based off of the transactions that they were processing per year, mm-hmm. um, they were processing over $2 million a year. And they wanted to completely redo their platform. So I was brought in to do that, and everything was custom. And one thing that we didn't really look into was – um, you know, what does migration look like? We had some, some idea of what that would look like, but things like resetting user passwords. Obviously, we don't have access to uh, the user's passwords, so we need to figure out how to bring them into our database. And, I mean, it was, it was extremely, extremely challenging. Um, so things like that, that's a major risk. How do we de-risk those different items up front, not towards the end of, of, the, of yeah. the implementation? So... That's a, a big part. Another part is sourcing engineers, um, you know, finding talent, uh, just all the interviewing and, and, and training, sure. et cetera. Um, and then, you know, just the, the, the day-to-day stuff uh, and, and then more towards like the deployment and production work. Mm-hmm. So actually getting applications into a production environment, uh, all the tooling involved in that. Um, so there's all that. Now, your question around how would I describe myself as a leader? I wish I could just ask people that that work for me. Sure. But uh, I would say that I may be over understanding at times, like especially during during the pandemic, we've had to adjust, you know, our understanding as mm-hmm. leaders because people are dealing with different things. Sure. They're working from their house for the first time. You know, and, and they've got their own set of, of problems going on. Um, and, and, you know, so I found that I was kind of getting a lot of, of resistance over, over the last year mm-hmm. uh, and, and having to shift the way that I was leading mm-hmm. to get the output that we So, I mean, we need. Tur- turn, turn up the, I guess, like, pull people in tighter. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I just, it's hard to pull people in tighter when your whole team is remote. Because, mm. uh, you know, of course, we have daily stand-up calls. We're on Zoom meetings all the time. Um, we have, you know, we set expectations and, and try to hold accountability. But it's challenging. I mean, I, I've tried more or less everything. Sure. I mean, incentivizing with bonuses, uh, paying more. Um, you know, trying to be as understanding as possible, giving people time off, um, those kinds of things. But it, it, it really just, so much of what we're able to do as leaders is really just the, the you know, the values of the employee as well. Sure. <laughs> I mean, and the people that we work with. Sure. So I, I don't know if that really answered the question, but. That's a good, that's a good start. Um, <laughs> let, let's kind of uh, ask something else. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there with ideas, and I'm, I'm not sure if you get these more frequently uh, in the position that you have been, but I guess for you, how do you identify whether or not an idea is good or not? Yeah, that's a good question. I think being part of different founder-type accelerator programs, uh, I've seen what, I don't know if I could personally judge what I think, you know, what's good or not. Uh, I can say in the eyes of investors, I have a pretty good sense of what they're interested in. I think just by seeing so many other people get invested in or not getting invested in. Um, but I would say that a good idea for me is if it can be built uh, quickly, <laughs> It's not overly complex, and it just gives you some starting point to get into the marketplace and test on users. Uh, I would say that that's, you know, 
the best case out of a lot of cases I see is where people try to over-engineer things or they try to put too much money into it. Um, yeah, there's some more, I guess, like technical components to it. Like, you know, is, is the market opportunity big enough? Um, what's the product market fit like? Mm-hmm. Product market fit simply just meaning like, why now? You know, like what's the urgency? Like why, why was this not successful five years ago? Or why hasn't it been done successfully before? Why is it today that it makes the most sense? Mm. That's a big part. That's right. Um, let's talk about some highs and lows. Okay. All right. Like, you know, being an, an entrepreneur, uh, specifically in tech, I'm sure there's been some really, really great times. And then also some really like, this really stinks times, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, give me maybe one of each. Okay. One of the highs as of, you know, more recently was getting, getting the opportunity to interview with Y Combinator, which mm-hmm. is a really, really prestigious accelerator uh, and investment um, fund. Um, we, my co-founder and I applied with a, a platform called Parakeet. Mm. And we had applied in the past under different companies. And um, it's, I mean, it's really competitive. Only 1% get to the interview round out of thousands and thousands of applications uh, every year. And uh, we were one of the lucky ones to to interview. And that was really exciting. The person who interviewed us uh, is the the founder of Twitch. Mm. Uh, and that was pretty cool. That's I mean, awesome. That's a unicorn, right? What, what, so. What's uh, What's Parakeet? So Parakeet is a product management platform, uh, which is really my day-to-day job is just like the project management side. Um, And it enables different project stakeholders to pretty much leave a sticky note on top of their digital product. Mm -hmm. So if you have an application or a website as a product stakeholder, you can literally just like touch the screen and uh, create a sticky note. Uh, to let the developer, designer, whomever else know that something needs to be changed. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, is it going through like screens? Is that what it's doing? And then the sticky note lives on top of the screen? Ex- well, is it on a design? Is it from the design aspect? No, it's a great question. It's, it, it is for the development cycle. Okay. So it's not like Envision or Zeppelin okay, okay. or Figma, which is all design related. Uh, you add a script to your to your application or website, and then it gives you an interface to interact with where you authenticate, you log in, and then you're able just to leave sticky notes right on top of your actual production site. Mm. Very cool. And then so uh, you got into Y Combinator with that. Uh-huh. And then to take me through, uh, I guess, where the cur- uh, company is currently, kind of like the experience there. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, learned a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and got to you know network with some really incredible people um, as part of that process going leading into the interview. Uh, Parakeet after that, so after that I, I applied to OnDeck, which is a, another founders type. Same, similar to Y Combinator? In a way, but it's less about the company that you're applying with and more about the founder. So gotcha. it's just an accelerator for people who have backgrounds in technology, some of which are really, really interesting, crazy profiles. I mean, vice president of Spotify, uh, just like some really big figures in technology are are in that group. And there's no investment involved, so they don't actually invest in you or or your company. Mm -hmm. But it's just a network of people where they have lots of different events with uh, some huge investment firms like Sequoia Capital and some other big players. And um, yeah, so we w- I went through on deck uh, with Parakeet, and at the end of on deck, I decided to to uh, get rid of Parakeet. <laughs> I don't think that's what an accelerator is supposed to do. I know it's not I called know. a decelerator. <laughs> yeah, I know they. Um, what so, happened? Yeah, it, it was. I you know honestly, one of the most positive experiences I've had and one of the best decisions I've made um, I can say in a nutshell I think one of the most important skills is to learn when to quit as quick as possible Mm. Uh, because the journey you know in the startup world and technology in general is 
so, you know, you, you're just constantly trying new things, um, testing your assumptions, building new products, building new companies, and letting go is probably the hardest part. Mm. And something that we all need to learn how to do probably as quick as possible. So with Parakeet, I, one of my advisors um, was helping me with the investment side. And this individual had raised $50 million, uh, built a team from one to 200. So really experienced as a CEO. Um, and it's really interesting what happened, but he and, and I were working together to create our brand narrative. What's the story that we're telling investors? Uh, and every time that we got, let's say 95% of the way done, we realized that there was something missing. So we did this once, got 95% of the way done, figured out what to tell investors, and there was some 5% like, huh, maybe we could try this other angle. So then we went down that route, uh, down that path, and it still felt incomplete. So let's say that this happened two or three times. Uh, this individual, his name is Kyle, asked me, he said, Will, what are your values as a person? And I thought about it. I wrote them down. I came back. I told him. And he said, great. So does Parakeet match those values? And I said, no, <laughs> not at all. Mm. Uh, and, and quickly, just to say kind of what those values are, I, I, I'm always kind of holding back from telling people just because it sounds so cliche. Why? It's just cliche. Okay. But I, I was telling you know a friend of mine this recently, and she said, yeah, but values are supposed to be cliche. <laughs> so... I think there's some truth in that. But the first part of, you know, the reason why I got in technology, to be honest, is because I, I want to do something with, with sustainability, with innovation. I'm really interested in applying technology to futuristic type technology, to, you know, to a better future. Sure. So for me, if I'm going to raise money as it's my company, it has to resonate with me in the sense that it's providing some impact. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that's really, really important. My other two values are more, they're, they're just as important, but I think that that's the only important one for this conversation. Okay. Is I realized that Parakeet, just, you know, as a project management tool, didn't really match that. So although I care about it because it's something that, that I, I do on a day-to-day -day basis and I built it, um, I just realized that I didn't want to raise money for that. And Kyle, my investment mentor, he said, let me tell you my story. So I raised $50 million and four years into it, realized I hated my life. Mm. That I had, you know, had worked on something and had been selling investors his brand narrative and that it didn't feel authentic, that he was making inauthentic relationships because at the end of the day, he didn't care about what his company was. Um, so I think a lot of startups immediately think that their right to passage is raising money. Sure. But oftentimes, I mean, if it doesn't resonate with you, you're ultimately going to be working for investors for expectations that you can't meet if, if that's not what you're really passionate and interested about. So understanding the why, right? Like understanding why you are doing something. Yeah, and for me, the why seemed really organic and natural. Uh, before Parakeet, I was working on Urban Crop, mm. which is something I'm passionate about. It's an ag tech platform. Um, we applied for USDA grants, uh, did over 30 pages of research into food systems and why um, you know, farmers needed a different alternative to their current means of selling produce to intermediaries who are pretty much just taking all of their margins and mm -hmm. they're left with very, very little. Uh, so there's, I could get way into that, but there's all of these parts to urban crop that, you know, I am passionate to this day. Unfortunately, I couldn't find good product market fit. I couldn't, you know, find, um, define a really good go-to-market strategy. I think I was off with my initial assumptions, which is fine. But after that, I said, you know what? I'm going to do something that I know. And I know project, project management. That's my day-to-day. -day. Sure. So that's how Parakeet came about. I mean, I mean, I think that there's, you know, multiple times in here that you are trying to, I, I guess, figure out, you know, what it is that 
is your why? Have you, do you feel like you've found it? Or are you still kind of like on the path and journey? Are you going to find it in Europe? Is that what the hope is? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think, honestly, I, I really believe that the last year has been probably the most tr like transformative year, professionally speaking. Um, I, I always kind of say that, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I, mean, I just feel like I learned a lot in the last year. Sure. And one thing that I learned from Parakeet was this value set that you know I realized that the next thing I go into has to meet these three different things that I'm that are important to me. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I, I stopped Parakeet. I ramped up my my fractional CTO side, yeah, um, which has been great. I have clients now that I really really care about and and love the relationship with them. And I've gone into this very intentional exploratory phase where I'm exploring different opportunities um, in different industries that are important to me mm -hmm. uh, as the next thing that I really want to focus on, which brings me to, I actually have found, I think, something that I'm really, really excited about. Um, so your question of defining that, that why Mm -hmm. I think I've I'm 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 there. Is it, is it is it something that you can kind of like share with us, or is it something you want to keep to yourself? What is that thing? Absolutely. So, number one for me uh, is well, okay. Let me not put it that way. This is an unordered list. Okay. So it, there's no real order to this, but there are three <laughs> things I really care about. Uh, one thing is urban development and urban planning. Uh, I really like this idea of sustainability and using technology for smart city technologies, mm -hmm. like to improve the lifestyle, um, you know, and impact within a city. Two, for me, is uh, sustainability in, ag in agriculture, like Urban Crop, mm -hmm. my, one of my startups, um, is defining better food systems or figuring out ways to deliver you know, quality produce to people in inner city communities mm -hmm. that, that have higher rates of diabetes than anyone else because they are living in food deserts, which I think a lot of technology can Give me an example of that. that. Like, is, is there somewhere, like, what does that look like? So they can't, aren't able to get, like, certain foods? Yeah, so within inner city environments, I, I have a lot of research on this, but I don't want to quote it badly. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't looked at it in a little while, but inner city, um, you know, communities, I think it's like on average, the closest place to, to get quality produce is like over a mile and a half away. And a lot of these people, you know, they don't have access to, to transportation. Is this de developed countries? This is in the United States. Wow. This is right here in the United States. And instead of access to quality produce, their options are fast food like Popeye's, mm -hmm. McDonald's, and mm -hmm. liquor stores. Sure. And that's super intentional. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's been designed that way. And, you know, they're suffering the, the you know, uh, the, 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 the downside to the health on that. Is, is the uh, non-access to quality produce a shot at, like, you know, the, the retailers, like Walmart? You're talking about, like, you know, like grocery where it's, like, hand-picked, right? Like, organic, that style of food not even organic uh just access to just to produce in general mm. um you but know, i mean walmart has that right does that not count yeah but i i, I the the communities that i'm referring to mm. wouldn't even have walmart mm. you know, it's more you know i i can picture it in my head sure um living in both atlanta and new york city uh of areas that just you know, maybe not in New York City as much. There's a lot of corner stores. Bodegas. <laughs> Bodegas, yeah. That's, that's right. what they call them, right? <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a long nice. time. But in Atlanta, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, places where your options are fast food. So, so there was, that's the second thing. There was the third thing that you wanted to add it to. That's right. So that's renewable energies. And um, just this last year, I took a course from Duke University online, uh, which is all about renewable energies. It was a certification program into... Um, you know, renewable energies as a space 
and also uh, green building, which I think is super interesting. And green building. Just, mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. So that's just, I mean, that's different. It's an umbrella for technologies to help buildings be more sustainable mm-hmm. and have a net zero energy uh, impact um, by cutting down on, uh, it's really, I mean, it's things like just architecturally speaking, you know, like is the building, you know, uh, the type of windows, mm. um, keeping of paint, heat in or exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's an interesting space. I talked to someone last week who's doing something really amazing in that space. Uh, she, she's a PhD in, in, in uh, renewable energies and urban and um, green building. And she's built this database that's helping, um, you know, people find access to financing options and government programs uh, to get these different ratings and certifications for their building, which is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that, those are the three things. So, uh, you know, you have food, mm-hmm. uh, and then you also have buildings. Like, how are you going to <laughs> merge those, merge together? those two yeah. together and, and kind of like have something? That, well, I mean, and, and maybe there is, you know, some, some overlap, but, you know, in your mind, you know, what, what does that business look like? Is, is there an actual uh, thing out there that has all three of those already existing or the idea? Or is this just the three things that you do care about? These are just three things I care about, not not in terms of merging them. I was like, where are we going <laughs> yeah. with this guy? I, yeah. <laughs> no, so I've been looking at opportunities in all three of those spaces. Mm. Um, in addition, I have a colleague of mine um, that, you know, the two of us are working on this research project to look in-depth at this United Nations 16 sustainability, uh, sustainability development goals. And we've decided on the ones that are most interesting to us, um, some of which have to do with food, some of, you know, have to do with ocean life, uh, education, some other components, and looking into what we can do to create a program around that. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I've been taking a machine learning class. So just to mention that, uh, I'm I'm interested in applying machine learning and big data to these different fields because mm-hmm. there's so much that can be done that other people are are doing every day, which is just amazing. Um, what I'm primarily focused on right now, besides this research project and and this class uh, in my client work, is this new partnership that I have mm-hmm. with. The one of the lead city architects um, for a city in in Europe, Tehran, in Albania. Uh, he's an incredible, incredible person. Him and I connected through On Deck. You know, he's him and I have been exploring opportunities where we can work together um, and combine data and and city uh, city planning, mm-hmm. so that cities have better data to be able to implement initiatives in in a in a more um intentional way what's what's going to be the input for that like you know there's not like there's like a you know a tracker for how many people cross like an intersection is there or how like how are they getting the information part of the problem in this space is that cities all collect data in a really different format sure uh so it's really dependent on the city Mm mm-hmm in our case, um, we're able just to to get data sources from many different places mm-hmm. in this specific city where uh, we have information on uh, infrastructure in general, transportation, real estate, crime, um, public health, education. There's so much. I mean, we have this massive diagram uh-huh. that shows like the interdependencies sure. between different um components of city planning it's extremely complicated makes my brain hurt <laughs> just kidding i i'm and i'm also kind of new to this so sure that's kind of why i'm you know I, i'm learning as as you know i'm, I'm a novice and i'm learning a, a lot um but i'm definitely no expert in city planning um <laughs> my my goal in this is to be passenger and to apply my technical skill set and background which is exactly what 
my potential new partner is looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's him with his subject matter expertise being in city planning and urban development, and me coming along uh, and applying the tech know, side, the, the SaaS side, and um, big data machine learning. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's super cool. I mean, you're you're working on things that like, you know, when I think about it, just kind of like. How do you even, how do you wrap your mind around that, right? Uh, for you, you know, like, have you always had uh, just an, a, a curiosity towards, like, extremely, extremely challenging things? Or was this, like, developed over time? I, I'm not sure that I would have thought of myself as an analytical person growing up. Um, I seem to have been stronger and more philosophical disciplines like literature mm-hmm. and history, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe less so on math and science side. Sure. But what I've realized is over the years, um, you can train yourself to do literally anything mm-hmm. um, through the desire to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years, I've kept a journal every day. That's cool. And I push myself and push myself and have put myself in, in, in positions where um, my, my head hurts on a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. from maybe doing something that would not have come naturally to me, which is that analytical side. And now I find that I am, I've trained myself to be analytical in some way, mm-hmm. uh, to have some analytical skills. So being genuinely and generally curious and combining that with a desire to work in a technology space um, has in, in, you know, as like a, a vehicle for doing so developed an analytical skill set. I think I'm ultra interested in challenged or, uh, uh interested in, in, in challenges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, what is something that you would have liked to say to your younger self if you had the opportunity to? Maybe to enjoy the ride, maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I was so probably focused on just getting to the finish line and 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 exceed you know exceeding my goals that maybe it caused an unnecessary amount of pressure stress and anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> especially being self in you know self-employed now for six years i've been in really uncomfortable positions now i i think of course i care i mean i care big time but i just don't let things bother me as much um that may be one. Two w- is way more direct. I would say I, I wish I got into machine learning when I was like 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's never too late though, right? Yeah. That's, well, I'm doing it now. So. That's right. That's right. Well, Will, I want to thank you for spending some time. Uh, fascinating learning about, you know, your life, uh, the way that, you know, you, you are able to, you know, move from place to place and enjoy kind of like what the world has to offer and also your care towards, you know, the community. I think ultimately at the core, uh, there's this uh, almost need to provide something that is good for the world. And that is rare to find. It is extremely rare. I really appreciate that. Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, for tuning in. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you know, if there's anything I can do for you, uh, please let me know. Sounds good. Thank you. (laughs)